Friday, December the 17th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, a fatal fire in Japan and American sanctions against China. First, the world in brief. At least 27 people were feared killed in a fire that blazed through an office building in Osaka in western Japan. The fire is believed to have broken out in a clinic specialising in internal medicine and psychiatry. Police are investigating the possibility of arson. In 2019, an arsonist killed 33 people in Kyoto by burning down an anime studio. America's Congress passed a bill requiring companies to prove that goods imported from China's Xinjiang region were not produced with forced labour. Several companies, including Coca-Cola, Apple and Nike, have criticised the bill, fearing it would disrupt global supply chains. Earlier, the Biden administration said it will impose sanctions against the Chinese military's medical research institutes for enabling the government's surveillance of Uyghurs. France announced that it will stop tourists from Britain from entering the country from midnight on Saturday morning in an attempt to limit transmission of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. French nationals, residents, students and some others will still be allowed to travel. Omicron is spreading extremely quickly in Britain. This week, the UK Health Security Agency estimated that 200,000 people were being infected a day. America's Food and Drug Administration permanently lifted a ban on women receiving abortion medication by post. Previously, women had to obtain the pills, which can be taken until the 11th week of pregnancy, in person, from a certified provider. Doctors can now prescribe them via telemedicine. The FDA's decision will make it easier for women to access abortion early in pregnancy. Typhoon Ryan made landfall in the Philippines on Thursday. It was described by the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies as one of the strongest storms of 2021, threatening, quote, millions of people. Tens of thousands of residents have been evacuated from their homes and several regions are on high alert. On Friday, officials said the typhoon had weakened and one person had died so far. Germany's energy regulator said the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline will not go live in the first half of 2022. It will resume the certification process once certain criteria are met. Certification was halted in November after the project was found not to be compliant with European regulations. Critics are concerned that the pipeline would expand the Kremlin's influence. The Bank of England surprised investors by raising interest rates to 0.25%, the first time rates have increased since 2018. The Monetary Policy Committee reckoned that the risks of surging inflation outweighed the economic pressure created by the Omicron variant. Inflation reached 5.1% in November, well above the bank's target of 2%. And fact of the day. 293. The number of reporters in prison or detained around the world as of December 1st. A record high.
And now here's today's agenda. Roger Stone shuns the January 6th Capitol riot inquiry. Defying a congressional subpoena is a federal crime, but that might not dissuade Roger Stone. The House Select Committee called on Mr Stone, an ally of Donald Trump, the former president, to testify on Friday as part of its investigation on the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Last week, Mr Stone informed Congress that he would decline to be deposed. He's not alone. Mark Meadows, a former chief of staff, and Steve Bannon, a former advisor to Mr Trump, have both snubbed the inquiry. Like them, Mr Stone may be held in contempt of Congress, which can result in 12 months imprisonment. Those charges reflect the stakes. The committee is worried about running out of time to conclude the inquiry before the 2022 midterm elections. If the Democrats lose control of Congress after that vote, a Republican-led House might drop the inquiry entirely. For a thorough investigation, there is little time to waste. Ten years of Kim Jong-un in North Korea Exactly ten years ago, Kim Jong-il, the second supreme ruler of North Korea, died and was succeeded by his son, Kim Jong-un. The country entered a state of mourning. The world was cautiously optimistic. Most observers thought the younger Mr Kim would bow to pressure for change and move away from the worst facets of his father's dictatorship. In the first few years of his tenure, Mr Kim increased trade, infrastructure and allowed a small degree of private enterprise. But in recent years, his reign has been characterised by heightened repression, more control at the borders and the acceleration of the country's nuclear programme, which earned North Korea strengthened international economic sanctions. The pandemic worsened matters, closing the border with China and shutting out tourism, diplomats and aid. Food is scarce, and even the privileged in Pyongyang, the capital, are suffering shortages. The hardship will continue with Mr Kim at the helm. Bank of Japan mulls baby steps to end emergency policy. As other central banks around the world look to tackle surging inflation, the Bank of Japan is in a deeply unusual position. Consumer prices rose by just 0.1% year-on-year in October, leaving it under no pressure to raise interest rates. Instead, the BOJ is likely to discuss on Friday when to begin peeling back its emergency lending scheme and whether to trim its large-scale purchases of corporate debt. It currently aims to buy 20 trillion yen, $176 billion in corporate bonds and commercial paper, a program due to end in March. The central bank's Tankan survey published this week showed that business sentiment remained steady despite troubled global supply chains. But the uncertainties of the new Omicron variant and its impact on the global economy, despite Japan's own floor-hugging COVID-19 caseload, may provide a reason to err on the side of caution. It could push the deadline for emergency policies out further into 2022. 
At last, a government for the Czech Republic. Milos Zeman, the pro-Russian, populist president of the Czech Republic, is a wily old bear. For months, he has put off installing a new government, led by Petr Fiala, whose centre-right Spolu, together, coalition, won the parliamentary election on October 8th and 9th. Spolu beat the populist Anno party of the incumbent Prime Minister, Andrei Babish, and agreed to form a government with the Liberal Pirate Party and a group of independents. Mr Zeman has been doing his utmost to stall the new government. First, he spent just over a month in hospital for an unspecified illness. He then objected to the proposed foreign minister, Jan Lepavsky, a 36-year-old Pirate Party MP, on the basis that Mr Lepavsky was underqualified. He was probably more offended by Mr Lepavsky's wary attitude towards Russia and China. Last week, Mr Fiala threatened to take the matter to the Constitutional Court, prompting Mr Zeman to back down. He will formally appoint the new government on Friday. Footnotes Our Russia editor on the USSR 30 years ago, the deal which dissolved the Soviet Union rested on the untested idea that Russia and Ukraine could be neighbours and nothing more. In his special edition essay, Arkady Ostrovsky, the Economist's Russia editor, argues that if Russia had become a democracy, it might have worked. Arkady found the writing of Serhii Prohi, an eminent Ukrainian historian at Harvard, particularly captivating. The Last Empire reads like a thriller, offering a fresh and unusual perspective on the events that led to the dismantling of the Soviet Union, while Lost Kingdom traces the historic roots of Russia's obsession with Ukraine and how it defied Russia's identity as a European empire. One of the triggers in Ukraine's departure from the Soviet Union was Russia's economic collapse. Yigal Gaida, a top economic reformer in the first post-Soviet government of Boris Yeltsin, was a rare statesman and intellectual. His book, Collapse of an Empire, is not a memoir, but a deep, clear-eyed analysis of the historic forces that brought the Soviet Empire to its end. George Kennan's long telegram, sent by one of America's greatest diplomats from Moscow in 1946, penetrates deep into the Soviet view of itself and remains every bit as relevant now as it was then. Arkady views Belarus, the last dictatorship, by Andrew Wilson, a professor in Ukrainian studies at University College London, as one of the best books in English on Belarus. It combines a useful overview of the nation's history with a vivid and lively description of its post-Soviet condition. Interested in more from Arkady? Follow him on Twitter or read his book, The Invention of Russia, which won the 2016 Orwell Prize and traces Russia's story from Gorbachev's freedom to Putin's war. Winter Quiz. The winners of week one. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Harsha Varma, Mumbai, India, North America, Mathieu Santerre, Montreal, Canada, South America, 
Lillian Kingston Freitas, Buzios Brazil, Europe, Osra Pascal Skite, Vilnius Lithuania, Oceana, Rata Ingram, Christchurch New Zealand, Antarctica, Mauricio Monroy Jr., Villa Las Estrellas, Antarctica. They all correctly guessed the answers of Leo Varadka, Lung Cancer, Gemini and Libra. The theme connecting them all? The signs of the Zodiac. Stay tuned next week for another round of our winter quiz, or as one reader correctly pointed out, quote, summer quiz, for those in the Southern Hemisphere. Finally, here's the quote of the day from William Leon Mackenzie King, who was born on this day in 1874. Where there is little or no public opinion, there is likely to be bad government, which sooner or later becomes autocratic government. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.